Pastor Xavier Rees says there really is one who feels your pain, and he suffers for you. He was insulted. He was accused falsely. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was lonely. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He cried. He bled. And he died. Now I can identify with one like that. Can you? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The old saying, walk a mile in my shoes, conveys the message of, you don't understand me unless you've been where I've been. In the Gospel of John, Jesus walks that mile of understanding by simply weeping. Today on Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier examines the context and substance of the tears of Jesus. It's in the shortest verse in the Bible where we strap on the shoes of His comfort and stride with the God of all compassion on the path of today's simple truth. John 11, verse 35. The title of the message is, Tears Mean Many Things. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in the Gospel of John. The verse declares, Jesus wept. The occasion is at the funeral of Lazarus, the one whom he loved. Now, there are many different types and kinds of tears. There's tears of physical pain, tears of emotional pain, tears of sorrow, tears of regret, tears of frustration, tears of happiness, and tears of joy. The fact that Jesus was God incarnate and that he wept is no contradiction since he was fully man and altogether God at the very same time. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Wow, the mystery of the Trinity, the godliness. How it's possible. As Christians, we believe it. We understand the, the, the manifestation of the three persons, but we don't understand it in its full ramifications. But we thank God for it, that God became man. Now, the weeping of Jesus must be interpreted from within its context, and the context is this chapter. First of all, we must realize that Jesus was certainly not weeping for Lazarus, for Lazarus would be better off in the bosom of the Father than to be there present with Jesus <laughs> in this world. So he wasn't weeping because he was now with God or because he was dead. But secondly, Jesus was not weeping for having missed his death, for he purposely delayed two days. And thirdly, Jesus was not weeping for himself. That's important. Therefore, as we look at the context, we have to seek to understand what he was weeping about. Let me propose to you that the weeping of Jesus was for three reasons. Number one, to reveal his humanity. Secondly, to reveal his disdain 
for hypocrisy. And thirdly, to reveal his grief over the results of the fall. Now, I've read you our entire text. Jesus wept. <laughs> Let's look first at the first reason for his weeping, to reveal his humanity. First of all, his humanity made him vulnerable like all of mankind. Jesus had feelings like any and every person. He was moved. He wept. Jesus was expressing those feelings through emotions like any other person. You laugh, I laugh, we cry, we frown, we get upset. Typical emotions. Jesus was humbling himself also before the people as he wept. When you don't know people and you're in a scenario of that type and something happens that causes you to weep, you tend to hold back and not weep before those you don't know because it's embarrassing and humbling. He humbled himself before the crowd and he was gone. The word wept means to shed tears quietly, which stands in sharp contrast to the loud wailing of Mary and the Jews, as we will see. It's almost like a brokenness from within and yet a strength from without, but a streaming of tears. The Lord poured tears out as he prayed to the Father, Hebrews 5, 7 says. This was not the only time by the way. There in the garden, he interceded for you, myself, and he interceded for the sacrifice of the world, that which would reconcile us back to God, that which would do what no man could do. And he wept. He sobbed. He cried over Jerusalem for her blindness regarding the things that were prepared and promised to her. But at that point, they would be hid from her eyes forever. Luke 19, 41. Weeping for the lack of benefit that Israel would have. Weeping for the judgment that would come upon her. Weeping for her blindness. Weeping for her pride. Weeping for her arrogance. Now as you look up those words, they are different words. Some with a loud wailing cry. The other one a low, quiet, sobbing just with tears. But Isaiah tells us that Jesus was a man acquainted with griefs, a man of sorrows. And he did that so that you and I would not have to shed those tears and those sorrows without hope, without resolution, without direction. Secondly, as humanity causes man to identify with him. He was a real person born of a woman just like you and I. We can identify. He was spoken against. Ah, he's a Samaritan. He has a devil. He was insulted. We know who our father is. 
But we don't know who your father is. He was hated. They plotted against his life. He was accused falsely. He says he would destroy this temple in three days. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. He was abandoned by all, even his 12 disciples. He was lonely. He was praying alone while his disciples slept. He was questioned. By whose authority do you do this? He was doubted, even by his own families. Go get him. He's gone mad. He was hungry. If you be the son of God, turn these stones to bread. He was thirsty. He asked the woman of Samaria, give me a drink. He was tired. He slept on the boat as they went across Galilee and the storm came. He slept. Lord, don't you care that we perish? He cried in the garden. He cried over Jerusalem. He cried at the funeral of Lazarus. He bled as he prayed in intercession for you and I. And he bled at the cross. And he died. Now I can identify with one like that. Can you? Thirdly, his humanity makes him a faithful high priest. The function of a high priest was to make an intercession for others like himself. Hebrews 4.14 mentions that and Hebrews points it out very clearly. The priest was sympathetic due to the fact that he was one who could have compassion knowing the same weaknesses. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that. So he was chosen from among his brethren. He being a man, he being sinful and frail, would be able to identify and have compassion with his fellow man and his intercession. The priest was tempted as all men. So Jesus, yet without sin, don't miss that, Hebrews 4.15. It doesn't minimize his temptation, yet without sin. That's important. The high priest of the Old Testament was a type to come, inferior to the one of Jesus, the more excellent ministry, the better mediatorship, the better covenant, the one that established better promises, Hebrews 8, 6. You want one word for the book of Hebrews? Better. <laughs> He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the old tabernacle sacrifices. He's better than angels. He's just plain better. Why? Because he's God. And everything spoke of him. The weeping of Jesus revealed his humanity. No one can deny that. And when he was before the crowd weeping, I am positive all looked upon him. And they observed. 
Remember, many of the Jews believed in him. <laughs> now, second reason for the weeping of Jesus is that it revealed his disdain for hypocrisy. First of all, his disdain for hypocrisy is due to his deceit. Hypocrisy puts on a mask. As a matter of fact, remember the old theater mask, a, a smile and a frown? It depicts the old theater, the Greek theater. People would come out with masks, and behind the mask was the real person. And you're actually deceiving the audience as to who you really were. That's the picture behind it. Hypocrite, actor. That's where we get our word. It appears to be under the motives and intent of sincerity, but it is pretense. The person is pretending to be someone they really are not. The person is communicating things that are not. The person is doing things that are not from the heart. Hypocrisy puts on a blindfold on the other person. It appears to be interested in the person, but it is interested in self. The person is blinded. The person responds in gratitude for the words or the actions that are being done to that person instead of reproving the person because the person cannot see the heart. So in good faith, they are responding to the words or the actions or the deeds without knowing the true intent of the heart. The person cannot see the heart, only the words and the deeds. The heart is God's department. None of us know the heart. Now, with actions and with time, we can get a pretty good indication of the heart. But there's still a chance to miss the heart. Very important. The person cannot protect his self or herself from the motives of the hypocrite because they origin in the heart. Hypocrisy pursues a goal to get recognition and be impressed with their person. To get a reputation of being more loving, sensitive, or kind than they really are and cause people to think of them as someone or something they really are not. But also to gain reward while giving the impression that their motives were pure and for the person. Wow, hypocrisy is horrible, isn't it? Psalm 80 verse 5 says, You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. To those who are wicked, those who are hypocrites. Secondly, his disdain for hypocrisy is due 
to his destructiveness. It's destructiveness. First, the person feels shocked at the awareness of the person. If you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. When you find out so-and-so was hypocritical, you said, him? You gotta be kidding me. You're kind of taken back. You, you, you can't relate that with the person who you thought you knew. Then you're shocked that you were taken in. Because <laughs> after all, you're so wise, right? No one gets over on me. And then, because you made yourself so vulnerable, you open yourself up to somebody. And when you think about it, it doesn't set too well. Job says, my friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God, Job 16, 20. You make sure that your tears are poured out to God and not just for yourself. If your tears are poured out for yourself, the circumstances, situation, or the consequences, it will turn nothing but bitterness and resentment. You make sure your tears are poured out to God and your heart is open to Him. The person feels angry. Notice the progression. First, you're shocked. Take him back. Then the person feels angry at the person for their own ability not to detect deception, but also for their brashness and nerve. How could, I can't believe him. Wait till I see him. The nerve of her. The response of Jesus to the genuine weeping of Mary is in contrast to the hypocritical weeping of the Pharisees or the Jews here. You see, we must interpret it within the context. It says that he groaned in his spirit and was troubled, and Jesus wept. Well, the only thing we see that he saw was the weeping of Mary and the weeping of the Jews. Now, he couldn't be mad at the weeping of Mary. Then we've only got one left. He had to have been mad at the weeping of the Jews. That was hypocritical. Because remember, they have professional mourners, right? They really could wail. Really loud. The more you pay them, the more they wail. Real pros. And notice that he groaned in his spirit, which means to snort like a horse and connotes anger. Again, it's against the hypocrisy. The word trouble is a reflexive verb that expresses agitation and it, and it amplifies and it builds upon that aspect of being troubled or being groaning in the spirit. The description is in his spirit, his human spirit, not the Holy Spirit. You see his humanity we can identify with him. He went through everything because it's so often that we would dare to say, well, you know, he was God. He doesn't know how I feel. Oh, no, no, he knows exactly how you feel. Every time you feel something, he knows how you feel, how I feel. Nothing escapes him. The person then feels resentment for the person. You notice the progression? 
if it's not dealt with? First, for the insincere actions. Second, for the personal damage done. Listen to Psalm 42, 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? David often says that his, his bed was his swimming pool by night. <laughs> sort of paraphrased. You've been there? Hmm. Jesus knows. But also the person feels then retaliation and revenge for the person to have a sense of relief. Now payback is so good, isn't it? In our flesh, it is. It feels so good. But does it last? Not a bit. It seems to kind of let off the steam. But then after we've done it, then we say, well, that really wasn't enough. Let me see, what else can I do? The thing about revenge and retaliation is it's never enough. And the more you do, the more you hurt yourself. First, in your heart, it gets hard. Second, in your relationship to God. It hurts us. To have a sense of satisfaction is the desire of our flesh. That's why God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will re repay. I will be recompensed. He deals with it. Can you trust him for that? You surely can. And that's the test that you and I will take through life. More than one time, I guarantee you. More than one time. The person then feels bitterness and justifies him or herself against the person. Well, you don't know what he did. You should hear the things she said to me. And we try to excuse and justify while at all times God says, hey, give it to me. This does not mean we don't deal with issues and resolve them. I'm not talking about actions that have to be taken that are practical. I'm talking about the heart and the motive of vengeance, retaliation. They are bitter and they justify themselves for the loss of that event or relationship, whatever it might have been. For making themselves vulnerable to another person. Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes 4.1, Then I return and consider all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Be careful the things you quote from Ecclesiastes. Solomon is in a backslidden stage, and if you begin the book, by the time you get to the end, you find an old man who's repentant and come back to God. And some of the things he says in there are, are completely accurate, what he said, but they're not biblical truth. So you have to examine it, what, whether he, what he's saying is biblical truth or not. Satan says, I will exalt myself above the throne of God. Accurate truth. He said that. Is it biblical truth? No. So you must examine it. So the words of Solomon here. We do have a comforter. We do have someone to intercede for us. Jesus Christ. And before Jesus Christ, they had Jehovah God in the Old Testament. 
for those who call upon him. Pastor Xavier Reese, assuring us that the Creator stands by as comforter to all those who truly seek him. Now, you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again anytime by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's still much more to come of today's in-depth study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is Tears Mean Many Things. When you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And that title once again is Tears Mean Many Things. You know, and when you contact us, thanks for letting us know the call letters of the station you're listening to. That information is very valuable to us and we appreciate your help very much. C.H. Spurgeon said, There is sweet joy that comes to us through sorrow. Next time, Pastor Xavier has more comfort from the simple truths of the one who counts our tears. Hope you'll be back then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com